Does, did he get his, did he get the paint out? Yeah, he didn't. No, this time I can't tell about your business. I didn't lie, or I just technically evaded the truth for a brief couple of seconds. If you get your Bible, I was working at um, a passage online. No, Luke chapter 11. Verse 37 to chapter 12, verse 12. And if someone who's using a pew Bible could shout out the page number, for those who don't know, that'd be great. 34. 144. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. <laughs> don't even know what I'm doing. So if you are joining us for the first time tonight, um, we're continuing our investigation series and an opportunity to explore Luke's gospel. Luke was a doctor um, and took that kind of evidence-based approach to his gospel. It's very logical, it's very good Greek, it's written well, and it flows logically. And he was presenting this evidence for a guy called Theophilus, who is potentially a person or a community, we're not exactly sure. But he was trying to present the evidence for this Jesus in whom we worship, that he wasn't just some kind of mystical creature, but an actual person who existed on this world, the, the man God if you like, fully man, fully God. Um, so hopefully you'll enjoy some of this series. I want to, are people reading the Gospel of Luke as we're going along the series? Motley Baptist Church. How <laughs> oh, a shame. If they can, we try and encourage you to read it. You can go on the Bible app, the Bible, the U version. They've got all kinds of different things there you can look at or just work through um, incrementally each day a chapter of your choice. But it is... It is an incredible gospel. And you know what? I've been appreciating this week as I've been doing it. As a preacher, you can spend a lot of time studying God's word, and sometimes it loses the beauty and passion that you, you find in the pages. Um, and this week, I was looking at it and just seeing um, Jesus' heart for the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. Some of, one of um, Luke's big focuses was that. He liked to highlight where, where Jesus brought the good, the good news, the gospel, to those who you wouldn't expect him to bring the gospel to. He has this kind of approach where the gospel is for everyone, and he likes to show Jesus giving the gospel to everyone, the good news to everyone. It's awesome. There was no particular point to that, apart from the fact it's cool. Let's get on the reading. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. And it says this, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he, sent, he, he went and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was not surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. And the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as to what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are, liked, um, you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves do not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. 
So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that it has shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, wanting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, when a crowd of of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daytime, and what you have whispered in the ear of in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And I will stop there if that's the right projectionist. Apologies, I did say 1 to 12, but um, I've changed my mind. Wonderful. So I'm actually quite a challenging um, question as we start and explore this text tonight. Um, do you practice what you preach? It's very easy, isn't it, to say stuff in the front. I'm, I'm not least aware of this as I stand here as a preacher. But do you practice what you, what you preach? You say it, and then your life matches the things you're saying. Because about you, one of the things I find most frustrating in someone is, is hypocrisy. I can imagine we all do to a certain extent, right? Someone who says something, maybe preaches at you, gives you a bunch of morals that you should follow, but then doesn't do so in their own life. It, it can be difficult to take. How can you possibly respect them if they don't live out the very words that they're saying? And it's a kind of funny kind of hypocrisy as I was thinking about that this week. And there's a kind of challenging, horrific hypocrisy, the funny hypocrisy of, of dad, dad hypocrisy. People know about dad hypocrisy? Like, I'm sorry, Steve, I'm looking at you, mate. I, I know you do this. Dads who say, um, do what I say, but not what I do kind of hypocrisy. My, <laughs> my dad always used to come in and he would, he would, um, tell, he would get me told off by my mum on a regular basis. I'd done something wrong. He'd get me told off and then he himself would do the exact thing he got me told off for five minutes later. My dad, the epitome of, of the Christian faith for me, is a Baptist minister who would not wear a Christian, uh, a Christian fish in the back of his car for the reasons that he said he didn't want to destroy his Christian witness when he was driving. Because we were told he actually cut someone up and he'd go, that's what Christians are like. <laughs> he's a lovely man, just in case he's listening. <laughs> and then there's the not kind of funny hypocrisy, the kind of um, hypocrisy, and I, I want to be careful in the way I say this, but that we find potentially in politicians who say one thing, set up a great vision, but then don't realize that. The, the, the kind of hypocrisy we find in our leaders, that we get frustrated and go, well, why did, weren't you just honest about the reality of the situation? Why did you put a shine and a gloss on it and pretend everything was okay, covering up the mess of what you're not able to do? It's one of the things I feel so profoundly as, 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 as a pastor, someone who stands at the front and preaches, you feel the responsibility of the words that you're saying, believe me. I know that you will hold me accountable to the things I say here. And if I'm not living it out there, what am I even doing saying it up here? There was a um, Christian leader a while ago called Michael uh, Gugliamuki, I think is how you pronounce his name. And he wrote a song in 2006 called Healer. Does anyone remember that song? 
a beautiful song. Um, he had an aggressive form of cancer uh, through pain, vomiting, and hair loss. You could see that. He, he wore the tubes in his nose. He lost his hair at some point as well. And, and it's almost like so many people grieved his story and were, were encouraged by his song that he'd written as a consequence of it. Until so we found out in, in, in 2006, shortly after the song was released, I think it was his dad um, made people aware that actually this was all a lie. Um, he'd been addicted to pornography for 16 years. And the guilt that he felt because of that in his relationship with his wife and in his ministry had caused him to have bodily reactions. His hair had fallen out. He had, had started to, to vomit and, and, and feel physical pain because of the guilt and the pressure he felt because of that particular addiction. He'd covered the whole thing up. His wife thought he had cancer and was dying. His father had prepared the funeral. It's that kind of hypocrisy that, I mean, actually, I've got to admit, when you see the interview with him, you do feel for him a little bit, but I can imagine if you were experiencing that yourself and you were a friend of his or a loved one of his, what that must be like to know that actually that was all a lie, that was all a cover-up for the truth and the reality. Hypocrisy can be really, really painful, and it's one of the things we get accused of as, as Christians foremost, right? I would be a Christian, but you're all hypocrites, you know? None of you get it right. You say it, and, and, you, and you don't live it. We'll explore a little bit of that um, later. But the reason I mention this is because this is what Jesus brings up in the passage we're looking at to his disciples. He teaches about hypocrisy from an experience he has with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the suits, the religious elite, the kind of pastors and ministers to an extent of the day, which is even more terrifying. So I want you to imagine Jesus is invited around to his local minister's house. This Pharisee comes up and he says, come around to my house, come and have some food. They've heard of this Jesus guy. He's been um, winding people up. He's been doing incredible miracles. There's a reputation building. They want to find out whether this new religious leader agrees with their tradition or not. So they invite him around and he sits down at their table. They've also took the opportunity to invite other dignitaries, other pastors, ministers from the local churches that want to come around and find out what this Jesus guy is like. They sit around and have a nice meal. And you'd expect in this moment, right, Jesus, at the very least, to, to have polite conversation, to be in his best behavior. I mean, he's around a pastor's house. And when you go around a pastor's house, you're in your best behavior, right? No? And yet, Jesus, I just, I love this text. Because if you think of the context, he's not like standing up and preaching this from a pulpit. He's sitting in their home of his host. And suddenly he just goes for the jugular. In every single sense, he makes two quite um, rude gestures, I, I think, at the very least. So firstly, the cleansing ritual. Like Jesus doesn't wash. And as we talked about recently um, with, with table fellowship um, a couple of weeks ago, that what was really important is in, in eating around the table was that it demonstrated holiness and purity. Your mealtime said something about your social values and the things you believe about God. Therefore, you cleanse before them. You had all kinds of cleansing rituals that demonstrated what you thought about God and what you wanted others to think about your home and your social values. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 to 4. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. And there's a bit in brackets here, because Mark is, is, um, is writing to a, an audience of people that might not necessarily know what he's talking about. So he says this stuff um, about, he says, so, verse 1 to 4, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. You'd think that's a fairly normal thing, right? They don't wash their hands. It's not a, a kind of offense. But the Pharisees, it says in brackets, and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, 
and kettles. So there's all these kind of practices that go on, and Jesus basically goes, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And you think, wow, that's pretty rude, Jesus doing that for, against his host. But then he uses that particular act of defiance, if you like, as a way of then rebuking the Pharisees. So again, living room context. You're sitting around with your guest, and he looks you in the eyes, and he says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 39 to 37. 39, sorry, to 40, because the numbers go upwards. Um, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of your cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not one of you who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for, for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, ruin all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You can imagine him sitting there going... What are you guys doing? You're so clean on the outside. You look so wonderful and pristine. But yet the reality is on the inside you are wicked and and you are lacking in the very generosity that you expound to others. The poor, you ignore them. The marginalized, you ignore them. The vulnerable, you ignore them. What are you doing? What are you doing? You give to God a a tenth. Brilliant. You give, give God the tenth. That is wonderful. But then at the very same time, you ignore the justice of God. You ignore the love of God. What are you doing? Woe to you, you Pharisees. This lovely Jesus who's meek and mild and would never say a rude word to anyone has sat in the living room of the religious leaders, the pastors and ministers, and rebuked them entirely. And understandably, right, I mean, how would you respond to this particular situation? At the very least, you'd be a little, little bit peeved, right? I can imagine you get fairly, I would get annoyed. I mean, if Jesus is sitting in my living room, I asked him to wash his hands before dinner. I don't know why I would, but say I did in that mood. I was feeling a bit clean. He doesn't. And then, and then he comes back in and starts telling me how awful I am. I'm wicked and, wicked and greedy. Yeah, I've been pretty wound up. He, they, they react in the very same way. 53, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. So Jesus, you call us hypocrites, right, mate? All right, come on, then you, you tell us what we should be doing. Come on, then, Jesus. You don't know the law as well as you say you do. I mean, really, it's just a show, isn't it? trying to catch him out in some way, showing him up because they felt personally offended. Why, what is Jesus' problem? Why was he being so rude? Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, not a few, thousands, so many they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. The Pharisees can hide the reality of their lives at the moment, their wickedness and lack of generosity, but ultimately, when God returns, those things will be made known. What is in the darkness will be brought into the light in the the judgment of God. Hypocrisy. Do you practice what you preach? Do you say one thing um, and live another? And what's the antidote to hypocrisy? And as I was thinking about this, what I've actually written in my notes is integrity. And we're certainly going to talk about that, but I was thinking that's not the antidote to hypocrisy. It's Jesus, the antidote to hypocrisy. Because in every single way, Jesus came to this earth and shown us how it should be done. He said stuff and he did stuff. The very things he did complemented the things he said. The very things he said complemented the things he did. 
The reason he could with confidence say the things to the Pharisees that he did is because he would live the very things that he was saying in that moment, be generous to the poor. He was generous to the poor. Put the love, on God, love of God and justice first. He put the love of God and justice first in his life, integrity. That idea of being um, a whole person, someone who's um, hypocritical would be one person in one moment and another person in another moment, constantly changing faces to appease the people that are around, to present that nice shine. Whereas someone who has integrity is whole, undivided as a person. Every situation, every context, you are the same person. You don't need to put on a face, but you're honest about who you are and what's going on in, in your life. A person who's got integrity says, God loves you. And they live that out. A person who's got integrity says, you know what? God calls me to generosity. And they are generous in their lifestyle. A person who has integrity says, God calls us to peace. And they live a life of peace. And you know, it's, it's, um, it's quite terrifying standing here and saying these things. One, because Pharisees were to a certain extent religious leaders. And there's a sense in which I might fit some of that. I don't wear the gear, but... Similar role. So that's scary in and of itself. But also, if I ever talk about this stuff in hypocrisy, this week I've been doing it. And it's like as I was doing it, preparing this message, God was like, yeah, <laughs> I agree, mate. Look at your failings. Look where you're not practicing um, what you're preaching. So, so the question is, um, are we all, to a certain extent, hypocrites? And there's a sense, I can feel the atmosphere in the room. There's a sense in which, yeah, yeah, we are, in many sense. But then there's 1 John, verse 1, 8 to 10. Turn with me to this passage, if you will. One John one verse eight to ten and says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us." That's the reality of the Christian faith, right? Every single one of us gets it wrong. So do we all practice what we preach? We try to. I would hope. I hope that we, pr- we preach something. We want to live it in every single sense of our lives. But do we get it wrong? Absolutely. I shouldn't have said that with so much enthusiasm. <laughs> but do we get it wrong? Yes, we do, because we're human. We make mistakes. But that doesn't necessarily take away from our integrity. Our integrity is damaged when we then put on a mask and say, do you know what, though? I'm perfect. My name's Ross Maynard. I'm one of the pastors of Mutley Baptist Church, and I'm the perfect Christian. I get nothing wrong. Believe me, I live the perfect Christian life. And yet the reality is, you know I don't, and I'm hiding that. But in fact, when we bring it from the darkness into the light, our integrity remains. We're honest about the fact that we get it wrong and rely on the love of a God who wants to take us to new levels in this adventure he's called us to. Jesus is pretty awesome, isn't he? I'm very good at writing sermons and not preaching the gospel. <laughs> I realized that recently. It's Jesus who loves us so much that he would give his life for us on the cross. For every single person in this room, regardless of background or, or what you feel you're worthy of this evening. And live this beautiful life integrity that he calls us to. That we set this standard of morality that we're willing to live by. Love that is radical. Mercy that is radical. Compassion that is radical. We're going to have a chance to respond um, to this message. Because I don't know about you, but I feel infinitely, uh, I'm, to a certain extent, unworthy in this moment. That when you think about practicing what you preach, I suppose you suddenly realize all of your failings. And if you're like me in that moment, um, 
First thing is know the grace of the living God that we love, that he uses us despite our failings. But also, I want to give us an opportunity to maybe bring into the light some of those things that we've hidden so far in the darkness. You'll find some paper over here um, on my right with some dubious pens and pencils. They may or may not work. Um, if not, you can use your blood or something like that. Um, write down maybe something that, that we'll have a, a place of silence in a second that God's been speaking to you, an area of your life maybe where you're going, do you know what, this isn't the light. I'm, I, I, I keep my integrity here, but I'm keeping this back from God because the reality is I'm not proud of this. I don't want others to know about that. An opportunity to, to bring this forward, to write it on a piece of paper and to put it into the light below the cross, maybe actually in the bucket itself or around it. But use this as a moment to come before the God that we worship and say, do you know what, I, I want to practice what I preach. I want to be known for loving God and loving others, help me do so. So can we have a moment of silence? And maybe in that, let's, let's ask God, where is it I'm not practicing what I'm preaching? Where is it I'm being a hypocrite? 